Today is the second sermon in a three-sermon series entitled, No Fair. No Fair. You've heard children say those words. You have probably uttered those words yourself. Even as an adult, no fair. When something doesn't seem right to us, we want to say that. Last week, we talked about how to deal with conflict in the church. Jesus gave us some very simple steps for how to deal with conflict and how to work toward not a goal of winning over someone, but how to work toward a goal of reconciliation. Today, we're talking about the map of forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive someone who wrongs me? How many times should I forgive someone who wrongs me? And then next week, we're going to talk about the wages of a faithful life. God has a huge idea of what our wage should be if we live a faithful life. And we're going to see what that is and talk about it some next week. So join us again next week. The scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And today I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So the master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, he said, and I will pay. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant! I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we go any further, I want to remind you of the final point that I made last week in the sermon. And that point was that when I wrong someone else, it's not just about me and the other person. God is also involved. When I wrong someone else, I also wrong God. And we are supposed to seek reconciliation, peace, and make things right, not only between me and the other person, between you and the other person, but also between both parties and God. So just keep that thought in mind. Let me ask you something. Have you ever pointed a finger at someone? Have you ever pointed a finger? If you're a parent, be honest. 
You probably have. I remember one occasion when one of my children had done something that just really didn't sit very well with me, and I was pointing my finger and shaking it a little bit too and saying, you should know better. And just as those words came out of my mouth, visions of a much older scene filled my brain and I found myself standing in the house in which I grew up facing my mother as she pointed her finger at me and said the exact same thing to me and I remembered thinking at the time listening to my mother I remember thinking I will never do that to my children <laughs> I missed that one didn't I but I can tell you it was a long time before I pointed my finger at any of my children because that memory stayed with me for a while. I want us to practice that right now. Point your finger at me. Yes, that's right, point your finger at me. There you go. And then I want you to rotate your wrist. And when you rotate your wrist, how many fingers do you have pointing back at you? When you point your finger at someone, you have three fingers pointing back at you. Now we're just gonna let that thought rest right there for a few minutes, but don't forget it, we'll come back to it. Jesus was teaching the disciples how to deal with conflict. They had just gone through the idea of if someone wrongs you, go to them in person and then take a person or two extra with you and then, then call them before the church. He had explained all of this, and that raised a question in Peter's mind. So Peter asked. Peter was always one of the outspoken ones. And Peter asked, he said, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Should we forgive seven times? Now you just need to know Peter would have been very proud of himself for using the number seven. Rabbis in Jesus' day taught that people needed to forgive three times. One time could be a mistake. Two times someone might really feel repentance. Three times was a stretch, but maybe, maybe someone really was sorry for what they did. But beyond that, you were right to call into question the sincerity of the person who continued to wrong you, and you didn't have to forgive beyond three times. So Peter was quite happy with his question. He had gone more than double what the rabbis were calling for. He did that, I'm sure, knowing that Jesus always expected more out of people than the rabbis did. So he's thinking, I will go past what the rabbis call for, and not only that, but I'm going to use a holy number. Seven is considered a holy number. It was back then. It represented completeness and fulfillment and perfection. Seven represented the seven days of creation. Seven represented the seven feasts in the Old Testament. Seven represented the seven churches in Revelation. Think about Pentecost. And when I say Pentecost, you're thinking, okay, how does that tie to seven? Pentecost means 50th. We Christians think of Pentecost as the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit and as the birthday of the church. In Jesus' day, Pentecost was the 50th day of the Feast of Harvest, which was celebrated for a week of weeks, seven weeks, of seven days each, 49 days, and then on the 50th day, they had the feast. 
So even Pentecost refers to this holy number of seven. Can't you just imagine the look on Peter's face? He had to be proud of himself. He's finally learning how Jesus measures things. And he's saying, Lord, do we have to do better than current religious teaching tells us that we have to do? And when I read Peter saying that, I just, I just want to sigh and say, Peter, hadn't you figured out by that point in time that whatever you thought was right, Jesus was going to go beyond? And then when I think about sighing over Peter's response, I think about how many times I have heard God sigh over my response. And I moved past that pretty quickly. So Peter is standing in front of Jesus. He thinks he's got the right answer. And Jesus says, no, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. I can just imagine Peter's face falling and his jaw dropping. That was an astronomical number. That was far more than, than he had ever considered. I can just hear Peter saying, Jesus, I don't have that many numbers. I don't know how to count that high. And Jesus' response might have been, I know, Peter, that's the point. And then Jesus tells a story. He always likes to put a story in there. This is another story about the kingdom of heaven. He talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a king who decides it's time to settle up debts. And so he calls in the servant who owes him the most money, millions of dollars, millions of dollars. If you look in other translations, you find that they use the figure 10,000 talents. A talent was a way of measuring precious metals, gold or silver. 10,000 talents of gold would have been 10,000 measures of gold that weighed 75 pounds apiece. So 10,000 talents of gold would have been 750,000 pounds of gold. This man owed more than he could ever hope to pay, not only in his lifetime, but the lifetime of his sons and the lifetimes of their sons. There's no way that any family could pay this amount of money back. The king calls him in and says, it's time. Where are my 10,000 talents of gold? And all he can do is kneel down and beg for mercy. The, the king says, nope, I'm going to get the best deal I can. I'm going to sell you and all your family, put you in prison, and, and take at least what little bit I can get. And, and the man begs for mercy, please. Please, I'll work harder. I promise I will pay it back. I promise. Now, both the king and the servant begging for mercy knew that wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't feasible. But the servant begged for mercy, and the king felt pity on him, and the king had mercy. And the servant received far more than he expected. I think he probably expected just more time to let the debt hang over his head, but what he got instead was complete forgiveness. The king erased the debt, wiped the slate clean, made it so that it existed no longer. The king gave him a complete pardon. Now, how would you feel if someone forgave a debt that you owed that was worth millions of dollars? Would you be thankful? 
Would you be happy? Would you maybe be just a little bit grateful? I would think so. And yet this servant who had just had his life handed back to him literally went out and the first thing he did was found someone who owed him a minuscule amount of money compared to what he had just been forgiven. The comparisons were millions of dollars to thousands of dollars, 750,000 pounds of gold to a few hundred silver coins. And he found this servant and he grabbed him by the throat and he shook him and said, pay up. And the servant did the same thing. He fell on the ground and said, have mercy on me, please. I will pay it back. I just can't do it today. And the first servant had no mercy, had no pity, had him thrown in jail until the debt could be paid. The problem is, back in those days, families had to pay for everything that was provided to care for the prisoner. So here's a family now with the chief breadwinner in prison, and what's left of the family outside prison has to figure out how to support themselves and how to support the person in prison. They can't ever hope to pay the debt off. So this second servant essentially was sentenced to life in prison because there was no hope he could ever get out. The rest of the servants watching this responded angrily. And they went in and said to the king, do you know what he did? This one who was just forgiven so generously and so graciously, do you know what he did? And suddenly the first servant is back in front of the king, and this time it did not go well for him at all. This time there was no mercy. There was no forgiveness. And the servant was placed in jail until he could pay the debt back, which would have been a life sentence for him. This story is the story of our relationship with God. God forgives us. God forgives us multiple times. God forgives us every time we ask. And what he expects of us is that we will forgive others in turn. When we don't, it does not go well for us. I guess Jesus really meant the words that he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer when he said, forgive us our trespasses in the same way that we forgive the trespasses of others against us. What has God forgiven in your life? If you started listing the sins that God has forgiven in your life, it could take you from now until to complete that list. And that's assuming that you don't sin any more between now and the time you finish the list of your sins. The only thing is, if you have asked God for forgiveness and you try to list out all of the sins he's forgiven, you can't find them anymore because God has not only forgiven them, but he has wiped the slate clean. They, those sins no longer exist. How should you feel considering that measure of forgiveness from a holy and righteous God? Thankful, and I would hope grateful, and even more, I would hope willing to share. Think about this. 
the Lord God Almighty stepped down from heaven to go to the cross to die a very brutal death so that things could be made right between you and him. If that's not something to be grateful for in extreme measure, I have no idea what is. Realizing how much God has forgiven us should give us the courage to forgive others with the same measure that he's forgiven us. When we are willing to do that, we accomplish reconciliation. That was the goal of, of all the conflict teaching from Jesus last week. When we choose to forgive other people, we make things right between us and them, and we make things right between us and God. If we don't do that, we put ourselves above the law of love that Christ teaches, and we put ourselves outside God's willingness to forgive us. It's not that God can't. It's that God won't because we aren't forgiving others. Remember pointing your finger? You point your finger at someone else, you have three fingers pointing back at you to convict you of probably more than you could ever imagine accusing another person of doing. Jesus' point is that we forgive until we've lost count and then we forgive some more. If all we're doing is counting the number of times we forgive people, oh, that's number 12. Well, there's number 13. Well, let me keep a list. That's number 14. That's number 15. All we're doing is counting to the point that we can tick off that 490th forgiveness and then seek revenge. And that is not forgiveness at all. It's not. The good news is God doesn't treat us that way. The question that follows that good news is how will you treat others? Now, there is one aspect to forgiveness that I think you need to know. Sometimes you have to forgive even if the other party hasn't asked for it. Even if the other party hasn't come to you and said, I know I have wronged you, I am sorry, please forgive me. Sometimes you have to forgive people in spite of the other person. And you do that because if you don't, your heart will literally die inside you. Your heart will be so hardened and so bitter that you can't experience the love that God is trying to share with you. So sometimes you have to forgive just to keep your relationship right with God and because that is what God would want you to do, not because the other person asked. No one ever said forgiveness was easy. But we need to keep in mind that the goal of all of this is peace between me, you, and God, and reconciliation and a restored relationship among all of us. How many times should you forgive? As many times as it takes, because that's the way God has treated us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.